0: You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast.
1: I'm Nate Cating, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Trey Martin is the president of Integrated DNA Technologies Incorporated, a corville based life sciences company that is fueling the genomic revolution. Think of IDT as a company of scientists working for scientists, creating genomics tools and solutions that paved the way for big breakthroughs in the life sciences. I talked to Trey about IDT's fascinating origin story, how it formed through connections between a new blood substitute and local rock bands right here in Iowa City, creative ways IDT raised capital in the early days of the company, and how to turn fast-paced startup energy into slow, steady growth. Trey also talks about keys to success in a microbiology business where every customer needs a custom product, and going from a successful startup to being acquired by Danaher, a publicly traded global science and technology leader. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned.
0: This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's Empowered Money Management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC.
1: Thank you, Trey, so much for taking the time to to join us here on Real Success. Uh, I'm I'm excited to talk to you. I think IDT is one of these amazing success stories, if not the most amazing business success story in in the region over the course of the last 10 and 20 years, and you've been You've been there at the ground level literally from the beginning. Um, You personally have an amazing story about uh, your professional journey within Integrated DNA Technologies from the beginning um, of the company and uh, really excited to to dive in a little bit and and share some of your story and learn a little bit more about it. Um, So 27 years within one company. Do you want to take us back to that first day at at, at IDT, how you got there, and um, was that something you had envisioned yourself getting into when you were – a kid running the main streets of Iowa city here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, East side, uh, all the way. (laughs) No, we, we, well, it is a a rather interesting story. Um, we, uh, at the time I was, uh, working with my band. That was what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, my fallback was to go to med school maybe. Uh, and so I was, um, I, are
1: you the lead singer? What are you, are you on on the guitar? I'm
0: I'm a guitar player. Nice. Um, but but there's actually a ton of tie-ins, believe it or not. Um, we our band, which was called Noise Ordinance at the time, uh, played a bunch of shows with uh, a band called These Days. Uh, they were a college pop band from Rockville, Maryland. They all had a house uh, in Iowa City, and a couple of them were getting their master's degrees. Uh, because of connections with that band and ours, our lead singer Aaron Warner. Um, was connected with the founder of IDT, Joe Walder mm-hmm. uh, and and Aaron, we, we were kind of a weird hard rock band. Um, I, you know, I was <laughs> biochemistry, and our drummer was studying to become an optometrist. And Aaron, our lead singer was a uh, novel networking expert, as well as a database guy.
1: This sounds like um, an amazing like Rolling Stone uh, feature <laughs> article or yeah. something here.
0: I, I wish <laughs> the, I wish the musical success part was, would be worthy of, Um, of anything like that. But uh, nonetheless, we we were running around in these circles. And interestingly enough, uh, the connection to uh, this other band led to an introduction between the founder, Joe, and Aaron. uh, And Joe was looking for uh, some database work for a brand new business model that IDT was putting together, uh, which was to make custom synthetic DNA for, uh, for genomic experiments. Uh, originally, IDT had spun out of the university as essentially a um, an assay development company. Uh, that that may not make sense to some of your listeners, but uh, Joe had invented this blood substitute uh, while working as an assistant professor at the University of Iowa, uh, and it had led to the foundation of this company as a joint venture between he and Baxter Healthcare. So. Uh, he put that company together and basically Baxter supported Joe's research uh, for several years until he decided to go into this new business model to make synthetic DNA for experiments. Uh, so he needed a new database written and some network help. And the, <laughs> the, the bass player from the other band's uh, wife was the office manager at IDT. And that was literally the connection <laughs> that led to Aaron getting hired as a, an IT person uh, at IDT and my introduction to Joe from Aaron, you know, a week or two later uh, as I was a biochemist and he needed one ultimately to work in the production lab, making this new product. So uh, it started there. I started the first week of March in
1: 1994. That's awesome. Right, well, I mean, and fast forward to today, right? I mean, this is an amazing company IDT based in Corville, 1200 plus people played a Integral role in uh, the COVID pandemic, which I know we'll get into, it was acquired by Danaher, um, reportedly for you know close to 1.9 billion dollars. So I mean, this is this is an amazing story and journey that you went on. But I want to go back, like the first week at IDT. Like, are you are you doing kind of anything and everything? Are you hanging pictures on the wall in the new office? (laughs) And I mean, what what does that look like? I mean, it's 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 easy for us to sit here and see see what what it's become, but, you know, I I know along the way, there are a lot of, you know, important, important points.
0: Yeah. I mean, the perspective changes quite a bit over time. We, so I was employee number 10, you know, Aaron was in there right before me. And yeah, at that time you do anything and everything, you know, we each had our primary roles, but, you know, I, I still remember we would take these, every order is custom in this business model. And we would take these orders, uh, for oligos, you know, my job was to make them in the lab, uh, but then when the time came uh, to ship them out every night, they ship by overnight letter by UPS and FedEx. Uh, we'd have one person distract the pickup driver and everybody else feverishly packing. <laughs> when, uh, you know, when, uh, when orders came in a big surge, we had to get them all in the system. So we would all run up front and do order entry. So th- that exposure uh, back then led to just a really broad uh, you know, array of, uh, experience for everyone who was around at the time. And interestingly enough, uh, several of those people are still on the leadership team, you know, people that's who awesome. have done all of the things, which is, I think that part is pretty rare.
1: Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Were you, I mean, you had the the band, the music background, you're in the biosciences, but where was it woven in to you at, at any sort of early age in terms of entrepreneurship and business management? And now you're the president, the president of the company. So Was the business model and working in the business, was that interesting to you at the beginning? Or is that something that you sort of, was that an acquired taste?
0: You know, that was an acquired taste. Both my parents were, we worked at the university, which I think is true for probably a lot of your listeners and a lot of the locale. Both my parents are artists. So uh, my dad is a MFA in uh, radio, TV, film, and my mother in theater. Uh, So the business part, they think, is a complete alien mystery. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, but but I would say my my grandfather on my mother's side, he was an Air Force colonel who then became an entrepreneur. He, he built up an apple orchard. Uh, he had a lot of cool businesses. And as a kid, you know, they were fun things to go experience uh, and see, you know, what it was like to work for yourself and, and to build something. So I, I learned a lot from him at an early age. But, you know, going to the university, particularly in biosciences, uh, you, you know, you're really, you really channeled down a path that is academic. You know, my purpose was to try to get into med school, and I thought IDT would be great experience for that. Then I started to see, you know, how interesting it was to uh, work in a, you know, in a business responding to customers with very straightforward economics. So rather mm-hmm. than grant cycles and things like that, we were we were dealing on a time frame that was literally twenty four hours, right. uh, and you could make changes and evolve very quickly. And I started to. It's hard to describe, but I just felt like I just got it. I just understood what mattered uh, to the customers, which is always the most important thing. And Joe uh, was one of his many strengths was his interest in investing in the business, in his faith that we were going, that that we were unlimited in our potential. Mm -hmm. It meant ultimately that he was willing to invest where I think a lot of other people, particularly in a startup world, might have been very conservative. Uh, And he would lean in um, with, you know, more, basically our cash flow would be reinvested in capital uh, in our capability because he had this faith that we were going to be a billion dollar company someday.
1: That's amazing. Do you, was there a point in your journey as you got more into the business and, and and elevated your way through the company into more of a business manager along with your other skill sets. Was there a particular moment or kind of, you know, call it a turning point when the light bulb went on like, Hey, this could be a company that I could essentially one day be running. Was there a particular project or something that you took on, or was it just kind of a slow, steady uh, evolution for you?
0: It was a slow, steady evolution. I don't know that, um, Uh, You know, what I liked about that time as we were scaling, uh, you know, as a startup was that we we all were very undefined in our roles. And I think one of the cultures that was set very early on that was really nice uh, is one that I still hold on to, which is this sense of everybody being in a team. You know, everybody might have their titles, which denote their specialties. But going back to those stories about the very first days, everybody's expected to pitch in and make it work. And there's an interesting pressure that comes from working with people uh, that become your friends and uh, or already were. And this idea that we really like what we do. So we better be successful so that we can keep doing it. You know, and so we, we had this culture of, of a team very much. Joe used to call us the gang. <laughs> uh, and, and he was really more of a visionary leader uh, with an unlimited um, <laughs> amount of ideas, an idea factory. Yeah. Um. And and so we were we were sort of the people that came together with different from different backgrounds and made it happen.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I, you know, by doing that, certainly we all learned to work together at a very high level. But I, I didn't necessarily have, you know, written on my mirror, you know, I'm going to be the president or CEO of this someday. I just wanted it to be big and successful. And I think that was true for all of us.
1: Yeah, I know along the way, you know, it's it's just it's incredibly admirable and amazing just it's like we, like we talked about your personal career path mirrors that of IDT because you've spent your entire professional career there, but just the amount of resiliency that goes into sticking to one thing, right. For over the course of 25, 30, 30 odd years. Can you talk a bit about those moments? You know, did you ever think about chasing something else shiny along the way as you were building this thing? And, you know, what did it take to kind of have that singular focus to, to stick to this project or did it always sort of have your have enough of your attention where there wasn't much thought of doing anything else.
0: You know, it it had my attention and I think those of my colleagues because we got to have so many unique experiences. You know, the so you know, we went from 10 people uh, to and one site in Coraville to, you know, now I think we have seven or eight buildings in Coraville, but we built a San Diego site in 2005. Uh, we built a site in Leuven, Belgium in 2007, um, Singapore in 2012. Uh, we purchased small companies along the way in Houston, San Diego, uh, Korea, Japan. So we had all of these unique and varied experiences as we grew up from nothing, you know, that that kept things very interesting. Of course, there as IDT went from, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions to tens of millions to hundreds of millions, there was a tension and there's a great war for talent, you know, in life science and genomics. So there were offers for all of us. Uh, but, but again, it comes back to that, you know, that organic, um, team and liking what we were doing and liking where we were doing it. You know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: one, one thing that is true, starting a company in Iowa that's different than San Francisco is, you know, um, especially in a specialized field like this, there might not be five other companies you could um, work for that, you know, you wouldn't have to change your home address. Right. Um, it, it, so if you move to, you know, one of the other opportunities, you're moving yourself and your family to the coasts, probably. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a crucible that uh, pushed us even further to be successful.
1: How about the, how about the pressure? I mean, that you just hit on it. The company is, growing and you look at it you know year over year and, and then all of a sudden more responsibilities are getting piled on your plate and you're moving up the proverbial ladder within IDT um, and then all of a sudden you're, you're probably pinching yourself like holy crap like I got a lot of people reporting to me and you know this isn't just a you know small little company anymore like you said hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue a year and uh, thousands of employees and all this sort of responsibility how have you handled that personally throughout your career do you have any advice for folks that are in managerial positions and you know, livelihoods and the, the longevity of a company rests on your hands, on your shoulders?
0: Uh, well, I'm glad it's not a video because you'd see the dark circles under my eyes. Um, <laughs> you know, having that sense of uh, connection of team and community is a, definitely another level of pressure. Uh, it's not the same as if you are, you know, a gun for hire hopping around, you know, with a turnaround to do. When you do a long-term build, I think at least in my personal uh, case I take a lot more responsibility for you know you might have in our case um, what 1800 1900 people now but that's that can be 1900 families right so that that's a right. that's a tremendous responsibility uh, to guide the success of the company but it's not just me I mean there you know there are IDT isn't based on never has been based on just one person it's a collection of people all motivated and, and making some really great things possible. So you have to remind yourself that it, you know, though you bear the responsibility, uh, it's not just, you know, it, it's it takes a whole village of people to, sorry, that's a little corny, but um, <laughs> it really does to, to make this work. And the thing that ties it together is really the culture and the shared mission.
1: Right, absolutely. And, and I know you guys over there, you've been driving, continue to drive the company hard and, and have been for really since the beginning, you mentioned Joe's interest in, you know, continuing to invest back in and grow and, uh, you know, continue to, to improve the company. Um, how do you, how do you balance that? I mean, how do you, you know, what do you have outlets? Do you have, I know you're still in, in a band and do those sort of things, but and talk to me a bit about that. Uh, you know, that the, the work-life balance, some called a myth, but talk a bit about that in, in your world and, and especially I think in your, uh, in your case it's probably even more more pertinent of how you were able to kind of strike a balance or keep yourself sane enough you know to yeah run the, run the company
0: uh you know it helps to love what you do right um you know and i as a biochemist i'm you know i i love that our product and our work is in genomics and um and you know human health so that that makes a big difference and uh, but And if there's anywhere I would say that I have not done a great job, it's definitely work-life balance. Um, I, because I love what I do and because I feel that responsibility, I have spent most <laughs> of the last several years, um, well, I mean, really, it started early. So I started as a student tech March of 94, and um, I worked so much overtime that Joe made me full-time salary in June of that year. <laughs> so so I was a college sophomore, but I already have my job, you know. Um that's crazy. So it took me several more years to graduate with my, my biochem degree, but it's been like that really ever since. Um and when you have that sense of, even though this wasn't my company, when you have that sense of um of mission and uh those goals to build the company up to something great, it does, it is all encompassing. Uh and I, I haven't done an awesome job of work-life balance. As you said, and as you know, we uh, we did get back together um, when our uh, our drummer came back from uh, as an optometrist. He works at the university now. uh, We started playing again in 09. and uh, that is a really great outlet. You can kind of forget everything, yeah. uh, Just start rocking a little bit. Um, And then, of course, I have three daughters, uh, and my wife has borne uh, a lot of the responsibility for them as I'm flying all over the place and. Building things, we like to. We're Disney nuts, so we like to do that. We like to hit the beaches when we can, um, but for the most part, I could probably do a lot better job as a in work-life balance.
1: And it's been an especially action-packed uh, last three or four years at at IDT, and, and for you personally, I want to talk a bit about um, the Danaher acquisition, sort of you know how that came to be and how how you have helped kind of usher that change through for, you know, you stayed on in your, in your current role. Then I also want to get uh, to how IDT has played a really integral role um, during the COVID pandemic here as well. But talk a bit about that experience with Danaher. You get, you guys were acquired in March of, of, uh, of 2018. You know, those things obviously don't happen overnight. So what can you share about the song and dance that went on with Danaher and how that transition (laughs) has been?
0: Yeah, well, so Danaher is a a very, so we we you know, I would say we went through these different phases, and I talked about, you know, building IDT out geographically globally. Uh, but we also went through diff- many different financial phases, and I know this is a business podcast, so people might find it interesting. Uh, in the early days, Joe would sell off of his IP and license it out um, to raise capital. Uh, we also did some very uh, fairly clever deals to raise capital in the early days really driven by interest in our products during the human genome sequencing project in the late 90s, early 2000s. So you call that maybe phase one. And then in phase two, uh, we did a mezzanine deal. Uh, so we, uh, if, if your listeners aren't familiar, mezzanine is essentially unsecured capital. So you can do senior deals where we, we own the land, for example, that we sit on uh, and the building at 1710, um, and the building we call the Harley building, which uh, we bought several years ago and put our engineers in, which was the old Harley Davidson dealership over in Coralville. Well, when, when we started IDT, that land was a field, literally a hay field. Uh, it was zoned as an as a industrial park. Then it was redeveloped, as I think you all know, uh, to be a big super Walmart site with all the adjacent restaurants and everything like that. So our yeah. land value went up quite a bit, and we would always leverage that uh, value for senior debt. Hmm. But when we needed more capital, we went to mezzanine, which is essentially a loan shark kind of business. <laughs> it's a very yeah. high high percentage, but it's high percentage because it's unsecured.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, I can't remember what year we did the mezzanine deal for about uh, seven or eight million. Uh, then we brought in private equity in twenty fourteen. And we brought in a private equity firm that was uh, that specialized in minority private equity investments. Very often, PE firms will um, buy out, you know, the whole company and try to right. get it ready for a bigger deal. In this case, they came in at a minority stake at about a third. And uh, Joe was always uh, very generous with uh, the original, you know, founding team, and actually several several layers uh, of IDT had pretty significant equity. And so we were able to take a little off the table when we did the private equity deal in 2014. Mm-hmm. But that deal was in prep for uh, us to eventually go public. That was his goal. Uh, and then when his health didn't really allow us to pursue that goal, we started a, um, a process to sell IDT in, what, the fall of uh, 17. Uh, and we were well known in the industry at that time. We we're running at about a quarter billion in revenue. Um, and we ran a, a rigorous process uh, with a banker who'd known us for over a decade. Uh, and I believe we we did 22 or 23 sales presentations Wow! and uh, ultimately picked Danaher uh, because their business model is unique and was very good for us. So You know, at the time of sale in '18, we had about 100,000 active customers, uh, and we're doing about 5,000 orders a day. 90% of those come through our website, and again, everything is custom made to order, so web ordering is really well suited for you know our business model. Uh, So we have this relationship with our customers that's rather unique, and in life sciences, it's ranked very highly. Uh, Our our whole response. You know, center, our call center is right here in Coralville, um, co-located with production. Uh, and, you know, they, they would get science grads from the university uh, and people who have tremendous capability to help customers with their problems. And since we're the custom part of their genomics experiments, they come to us first. Right. So anyway, that connection was really important. And the really cool thing about the Danaher model is that it is a corporation that is a collection of what they call operating companies and mm-hmm. um, Opcos for short. And so when IDT became part of Danaher, we we didn't change our email or our phone numbers or our business cards or anything. We were still IDT. Right. Um, we're a standalone company with our own financial capability, our own HR, our own everything. We're an individual operating company, but within the Danaher family. And we really mm-hmm. liked that because that arrangement allowed us to maintain that direct relationship to all those customers and, in. and, not interrupt uh, the flow that had made us successful.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And just on a personal note, you know, the, that acquisition, I mean, for you, if you could speak personally, how, I mean, so you were able to monetize and capitalize decades of, of work through this event, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, right? And you and a bunch of your other fellow employees that were there and had built a company for however many years. Talk a bit about that for you and your family. What did that windfall mean for you guys? I, I don't need to know what, you know, you went out and bought, but just kind of personally, what, (laughs) what, what did you take a moment or a trip or? I did not. Uh,
0: I, I, appreciate that question, but no, my, I had been out there with my colleague Roman, uh, doing the pitch and we, we sold it. Uh, and I'd say like a week before the date, uh, we had to get ready for a transition and we were running, you know, if our company was running at 1500 RPM before the sale process, it was running at 2500 rpm through the sale process and then for the transition 3,000 rpm. I mean it, <laughs> it, if anything, it, it was another gear we had to hit right. um, to because, because we had gone you know from a, a startup um, and I it's it's weird to call a quarter billion revenue you know still a startup, but we were a private company.
1: Mm-hmm. And Danaher
0: is a fortune 150 company. Um, you know a very large yeah. public company, really sophisticated. And uh, we had to move very quickly to be capable of operating at that level. You know, we had to bring in a bunch of help and, and, and do a lot of work uh, to be, to be uh, appropriately sophisticated in things like financial reporting and forecasting, um, you know, in risk management and all the things that come with being a public company.
1: What has what this meant? Last question on Danaher. I'm, I'm just curious. What, for you personally and professionally, how have you grown Post acquisition from Danaher, what what what's been the biggest positive in your life uh, from this sort of acquisition? Like you said, you, you were challenged, right? You said you 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 put oh, the pedal to yeah. the metal a little bit more, and the the company you know took you need to take it to new places with the uh, with Danaher on board. What is what has that meant for you?
0: Uh, it it's been a tremendous exposure to extremely sophisticated uh, business operators. Uh, Danaher is an older company, actually, that has evolved this operating system uh, called DBS, Danaher Business Systems, and this um, this unique model of these operating companies. Uh, and it's you know the one of the things that happened um, right after uh, my boss at the time, Reiner Blair, who's now the CEO of the company, um, he he made the IDT acquisition possible at Danaher and uh, was a big part of the transition. And I reported him for two years until he became the CEO of the whole thing. Uh, One of the things he did after uh, the IDT acquisition was buy the majority of GE Healthcare for $21 billion, um, which is called the GE Bioprocess business, which is now called Cytiva. Uh, And that that was the thing I I and some of my colleagues were really excited to see, just a, a whole different level of operating capability. Mm-hmm. You know, to do massive deals that you know make CNBC and Fortune and uh, you know operate at huge global uh, breadth and sophistication, so that exposure has been really, really interesting and very exciting for a lot of us. And then, then you become a part of this big company, and all of a sudden there are a ton of different opportunities. A lot of our um, a lot of our assistant managers and managers have been recruited to other operating companies. That's a big part of the Danner culture uh, called the internal fill rate, where we give people uh, the majority of our senior level positions are to come from inside, which is something IDT had always done anyway and, and a core value I really liked. Yeah, interesting. But now it, it means that a lot of our, uh, you know, not our senior leaders, but a lot of people at several levels deep are getting the opportunity to move up into new jobs uh, across the country and across the world Mm -hmm. as part of this network. So that's another really cool thing. That's part of this uh, business
1: model. Can you quick kind of share a story at high level about what IDT has been up to the last year with the COVID pandemic?
0: Yeah. In addition
1: addition to the rest of your business, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, it it has been very much pandemic driven. um, And the reason is that uh, our our product custom synthetic nucleic acids are used in um, in in all genomic applications really, but what people may become more familiar with now, uh, qPCR testing uh, is really a collection of oligonucleotides, which is what we make and have you know, for the last 25 years. So the CDC, for example, whenever they create a new um, assay, which is what you call a collection of these oligos that detect something, they order a few custom oligos from us here in Coralville. Uh, we make them, purify them, formulate them, and send it to them. So we had done that uh, for this new um, this new virus uh, slash syndrome, COVID nineteen. And the thing that was different this time was in the, at the beginning, right, actually the end of February, very beginning of March. So almost exactly a year ago, uh, we got the call from the FDA. Uh, that they would like us to help the CDC scale their detection kits because they could see that there's going to be a massive need in the millions. Uh, And so the the task force actually asked if IDT could scale from, uh, you know, from nothing, literally the first week of March to five million reactions per week uh, by mid-March. And we we said, we'll do it. And uh, we did. And to date, I think we've made almost 70 million reactions of COVID tests um, for you know basically under the CDC testing protocol. And then it was a very unique situation where you, we would usually just send that all to the CDC and they would figure it out. This time, as part of the response, uh, the FDA and CDC were directing us uh, on on how to fill orders, where and when, to whom, and so on. Uh, and then then part of IDT's regular business, we had many of our customers uh, coming in with their own uh, versions of these test kits. And of course they've evolved now from, you know, the COVID-19 detection to combo kits that look at, you know, RSV plus COVID plus influenza A plus influenza B and so on and so forth. So it's been a tremendous surge of business, which we, you know, which is great, but we take it even more seriously because a lot of the uh, testing, uh, you know, has been very challenging to scale up. The, the system to do it, the products didn't exist before March of last year. Uh, and the entire supply chain, is, as people probably know, has been very strained uh, trying to scale up to the level of testing required to deal with this pandemic. But we've been definitely in the middle of it. So IDT had a huge uh, growth year and um, we're, we're still adding jobs and, and capacity as quickly as we possibly can.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. And you kind of hit on my last... Last question here is what is the, you know, what does success look like for IDT? If you were to look out into the future 10 years from now, what is that what does that look like for you guys? Well,
0: you know, to to large uh, public companies like Danaher, um, genomics is still quite new. Genomics is still, I would say, in the early stages of uh, the benefit that it can provide for human health and the human condition. Uh, and we're really excited to be you know, really at the forefront of uh, that for this company with tremendous capability. So I I see uh, IDT going from, it's already happening, right? The IDT going from providing a component in uh, research experiments at university labs to now over the last year supporting, you know, the scale up of infectious disease testing Mm -hmm. to really the next frontier for genomics is in personalized, uh, you know, well, really, personalized medicine, personalized uh, therapy for cancer, um, right. gene, gene therapy, cell therapy, all those things at the end of the day use the fundamental product that IDT has made for 25 years uh, and leverage it in very new and exciting ways. And we're just really blessed to be able to be a part of that as science moves forward and, and hopefully uh, really starts to affect and improve uh, human life.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating stuff, really Really one of the most amazing business success stories here in the entire state of Iowa. And uh, so we're all lucky to have you guys here at, uh, you know, right, right at home in Coralville. Glad you didn't go on in that uh, band career, go chase something <laughs> off and <laughs> off to yeah. Seattle or wherever that would have taken you at, the, at might, that point. Might have been, Yeah. might've
0: been a low risk uh, loss there. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I stuck around too.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we like to wrap these interviews up with just some quick rapid fire questions. Trey, if you were to describe your success and contribute it to luck or hard work, how would you, how would you allocate it to hmm. either of those two?
0: Uh, the work has been hard, but I think we all have to be, uh, you know, you have to be humble enough to realize that there are, pla- there are right place, right time situations, you know, at many different steps. Um, you know, the the setup to meeting Joe in the first place, I think, was pretty lucky. Um, the unique set of talent, I think, um, both in the bands that I talked about, but also Mm -hmm. this net, this, uh, nucleus of talent that, and, and the incredible people were able to just bring in even at entry levels, you know, being here in Eastern Iowa, I think is lucky. Um, we've been by, by some of our competitors in the East and West coast, we've been called, uh, Accidental geniuses, which I don't think <laughs> is a compliment. But is that, it, I was going to
1: say, is that a compliment yeah. or not? No, uh-huh. it's not.
0: But this is by our competitors, and and you know it it has been a great place to build a big life science company, and that's that's kind of lucky, I think. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know we've we've had we've had good things and bad things along the way, but I you know I would uh, <laughs> I don't know that's a tricky question, man. That's a good one. I'd call it. Uh, Sixty forty, work and luck.
1: Okay, great. Now, if, if given the prof- the chance, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? And I'm going to take playing in a band professionally off the plate too. So you can't can't you can't go off being a professional guitarist and you and you are no longer the president at IDT. What would you do? Uh,
0: I would probably take a vacation first, and then I would. Um, <laughs> I, I really love cars, so I would probably like to you know, pro-am race,
1: that would be pretty cool. Sweet. Yeah. be fun. Uh, business leaders or someone that you, you've looked up to throughout your career.
0: You know, I, I read a lot of the books, um, and it's, um, probably easier to have one you don't work for now. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, <laughs> right. my, my immediate boss who's now the CEO of Danaher is, is one of the most impressive people I've ever met. So was Joe. Um, so, uh, I, I probably should pick, uh, well, actually maybe I should stick yeah, with hopefully. that. <laughs> That's yeah, probably two, the right answer.
1: Two, two pretty, pretty worthy uh, recipients yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, podcast or TV show it doesn't necessarily need to be business related, but is there something at the front of the queue on Netflix right now if you, when you're able to sneak some time in or podcast?
0: Uh, you know, it's good to decompress, particularly during the pandemic and with all the work Um We've, we've binged just about everything on Netflix, you know, from like 10 at night to one in the morning. Nice. Uh, right now we're going through new girl again, which is hilarious. Um, I would say podcast. You definitely got to go with uh, the Nate Cating CBJ podcast. I think it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: you're good. You got your hundred bucks. You earned, you earned your, your winner. Yeah. Um, your I, winner I like
0: embarrasses podcast too. When I listen sure. to one, I do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty boring. I usually have CNBC on in the background on satellite radio or TV. But yeah, when we uh, when we get the chance to decompress, we like to laugh.
1: 30 extra minutes in a day. What would you do with it?
0: I'd probably actually pick up a guitar and play it. Um, I do miss that. Um, you know, I and, and you can lose your skills pretty quickly. It's um, music is almost like a language in that way. And it would be it would be better if I could uh, spend 30 minutes a day doing that.
1: How about a book? Is there something you've read or recommended to folks of late?
0: You know, the one I quote a lot is good to great by Jim mm-hmm. Collins. I think that's, uh, that one just really get, gets there. Um, if you had to pick one, I would pick that. I, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, it's not like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> you know, we, we tried to make a good product that customers liked and take good care of them. Yeah. And so it's been interesting to watch this journey. And then read business books really to compare and contrast, you know, the conclusions they come to, but good to great really registered and spoke to me.
1: And then the last question, uh, if you, in one sentence, how would you define success?
0: Can it be a run on sentence?
1: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> lots of commas. Semicolons, yeah, right? yeah.
0: uh, success in one sentence. Um, you know, if I look back on uh, where I am, where I'm incredibly thankful to be, I would say it feels like success because i've been able to reach my own goals while uh while others also reach theirs you know together and be surrounded by great people who i'm excited to work with every day
1: yeah perfect that's great it wasn't even that run on me that was good oh, uh yeah got there yeah hey thanks a lot trey really appreciate you taking the time and uh keep up keep up the good work and really look forward to Following your success and the success of IDT uh, for many years to come. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Nate.
0: This episode was produced by Joe Coffee of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.